The following episode contains material of a graphic nature and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Today, this is the third effort for the national crew led by a North Carolina missing persons expert, and the hope remains as strong as ever. The Marshall student Samantha Burns went missing in 2002. Chad Fultz and Brandon Basham were convicted of killing Burns and a South Carolina woman named Alice Donovan, all after a multi state crime spree. Chad Folks and Brandon Basham have both pleaded guilty to Samantha's abduction and murder and are now sitting on death row in Indiana. It never goes away. You never stop thinking, what if, maybe here, maybe there. It's just something that you always think about. This all started six years ago when Burns was kidnapped. One of the men charged with her death recently sent a map to the people organizing the search. So now family and friends are standing by and hoping for closure. Welcome back to Serial Spirits, the podcast. It is me, your host, Brendan Shea. And as always, it is the beautiful, the wonderful... Annie Weebs. What's up, Shea Bay? We are on the final leg of our investigation here into the uh, disappearance of Samantha Burns. And we have another interview lined up for you today. And it's a pretty good one as well. And tonight you will hear our interview with the host of podcast, Killer's Crawlspace, Bruce LeMaster... Bruce is a native of Hamlin, West Virginia, the same town Samantha Burns was from, and he began independently investigating the case years ago, starting by writing letters to Chad Folks. You will hear Bruce detail these conversations that he had with Chad through letters, emails, and phone calls, interactions that Bruce had with Chad and Samantha's families, and correspondence that Bruce had with other key players in the case that may have never even made it into the official investigation. So sit back, hold on, and tune in, because this is a pretty good interview as well. This one is a little, you have to listen to this one in detail, because again, there are players that come into this case that you haven't heard about in previous interviews and in us talking. So some of the names will be familiar, but some of the names that Bruce brings up, like I said, never really even made it into the, quote, official investigation. Bruce has done years of digging. He has notebooks full of notes, and we appreciate him so much for bringing this information to us because it makes you realize what a broad spectrum this case had. Things and people that could have been involved with this that we may have not even known about. So this is our interview with Bruce LaMaster, host of Killer's Crawl Space podcast. You guys tune in. 
Okay, so today for our episode of Serial Spirits, the podcast wrap up series on the Samantha Burns case. And joining us today is uh, a native of Hamlin, West Virginia, a paranormal investigator and fellow podcaster, Bruce LeMaster. He is the host of Killer Crawl Space podcast. And he is joining us today because he has ties to this case. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him on. Bruce, are you there? Yes. How are you doing this fine evening? Yeah, I'm alive, I guess. <laughs> we could all be worse, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's just let's just jump right into this case. You you have direct ties to this case and you know, we wanted to bring you on and get, you know, we're trying to look for everybody's perspective on this story because mm-hmm. we know, you know, I am not a native of West Virginia. I rarely remember hearing the story when, you know, all these things happened and transpired. But I know that Annie and, uh, and other people we've talked to, it, this really hit close to home, especially the Marshall University community when this happened. So, you know, you were probably uh, you were caught up in that whole scenario of when this when this went down. So, you know, how did you become affiliated with this case? And did you personally know any of the parties involved? Uh, no, I did not know anybody like I was let's see 13 when all this went down. Like, you know, I knew about it and everything. Well. I basically, like I said, is local. I've always been in the true crime. So I ended up becoming a paranormal investigator about 10 years ago. And one of my grandma's friends was talking about, you know, basically bringing up this case and stuff. And she was like, well, wonder, you know, if you took the paranormal angle to it, if maybe he could, you know, figure something out. So I got to thinking because I started writing serial killers and killers back in 2013 and, you know, I saw most information that basically came to, um, you know, where Chad had been writing people trying to get, you know, Samantha found and everything. So I kind of put two and two together. I was like, oh, OK, I could write him, see if he writes back and then go from there. And, you know, in the beginning of January of 2014, he wrote back and I got a few letters from him for a few years. Um Called, talked to him a couple of times. I actually went and visited his grandma in Hamlin once. So you basically- were, you, sorry, you were 13 when you wrote Chad Falks on death row? No, no. It's only been like 2014. So okay. Four or five okay. Years ago. Yeah. okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't start, <laughs> I didn't start, I didn't start writing uh, killers or anything until 2013. Okay. Like uh, October. So why Chad? Why, what compelled you? Was it just the fact that you knew that he had reached out to so many people or was it because you're a native of Hamlin? You and Samantha come from the same area. Was it an interest in the case because of that? Or was it just like, hey, this dude seems just like he wants to talk and maybe it'll be interesting conversation. Yeah, pretty well, pretty much both. Like I said, well, I've always been in the true crime, and you know, this one hits closer to home and stuff because it's basically right, right next door. So, um, like I said, with him reaching out and stuff, and it kind of made me wonder. I'm like, well, I'm not a genius on anything, but I was like, well, maybe somebody's missing something. Maybe there's more to it, you know, and maybe I can, you know, look at it from a different angle and see if I can find out anything. So, like I said, it. He, he said some interesting things, said some stuff I've never heard about, and then, you know, went pretty deep into everything. Like, I, you know, he actually put me in contact with her family. And, wow. uh, yeah, I actually, like, right around in the middle of all this, like, I had a dream of Samantha and everything, which was really interesting. And I don't know 
what like I was telling her family about it and I'm like well, like I had a dream like she was buried in my backyard so in a sense like like she's literally you know literally not buried in my backyard but right like I don't know it kind of just made me feel like she's close like you know in a place closer than you know you know you know your backyard like right that's the way I was kind of portraying that dream and we end up going out to the site that he said she was buried at a couple times and never could actually pinpoint what tree he was talking about. And I have mm-hmm. no, I still have no clue to this day what tree he's talking about. So, so let's kind of get into a little bit about your correspondence with him. You know, you said you've actually talked to him on the phone. The thing that you just said that really kind of makes me, you know, it's a little weird is uh, he, he's the one, Chad Fox is the one who put you in touch with Samantha Burns family. How, I mean, how did that, how does he have contact information for all that kind of stuff? Um, he like emailed, like, I don't know if he, I think he wrote them too, but he like emailed and corresponded with them and stuff, you know, basically trying to help, you know, this is where she's at stuff like that. So he like gave me an email and everything to talk to him. I, I like, I just talked to another one of her family members, like after the whole Jimmy thing blew up, Mm-hmm. I ended up talking to another one and stuff. I've talked to like some of her. Well, after the whole Jimmy thing, I like I was in contact with two of her best friends in school and stuff like. And like one of them actually gave me like uh, newspapers and stuff from back from Lincoln Journal back in that time when it all went down. Mm-hmm. So when you reached out to them originally, were they receptive when you reached out? Did they want to talk to you or? You know, did they kind of give you the cold shoulder and say, we don't want to talk to anybody about this anymore? What was the reception like from her family? Well, I think like her, like parent and stuff, they're kind of more hush hush on it. Mm-hmm. But her aunt and stuff, like she was more appreciative and stuff of, you know, somebody else trying to help out in it and trying to, you know, find answers and all that. And, you know, trying to find anything I could and just helping out because like. I like I'll email her every now and then, talk to her and stuff. Be like, hey, I, you know, this happened. Like, I keep keep her in the loop of things. Like, if, if I uncover anything or hear from somebody, like anytime I heard from Chad, I'd usually talk to her about it and be like, hey, he said this. This compared to anything he's told you and stuff like that, and just kind of got like a feel of, you know, how kind of like comparing what he said to her and to myself. What is his? Uh, I mean, you, you talking to Chad Falks. Did his story ever change from from time, you know, from from letter to letter or call to call, like about what the facts of this case really were? Or was it, you know, like was it a consistent story or were there little variations from time to time? I don't know. Like at times they seemed, you know, pretty well straightforward and the same. But like uh, there was a lady I met through a paranormal investigation. Well, when she found out, like when I was talking about talking to Chad, well, she remembered like all that. And supposedly uh, a lady, um, she was telling me about, well, with uh, Beth and stuff that's supposed to be involved, where they stayed at her house in Huntington, something about her, she was driving Samantha's car. Well, it was like late at night. And, like I reported it to, you know, the family and they're like, well, we never, none of that ever came in. Cause supposedly this woman like reported to the cops, but I guess there's no record of it. Well, I was telling Chad about it, and then he's like, oh, yeah, you know, like he was trying to, like, go with that. And I don't think there was really any connection to it. From my understanding, Beth never did drive her car, so I don't know if he was just going off of that or what. That's stuff like that, like little things kind of made me say, hey, is he just trying to, like, 
add to the story with other stuff just to kind of cast the blame from him. Uh, I'm trying to think. I remember, which it's kind of weird that, well, like anything, they like between him and Brandon, they both blame each other. Right. Yeah, we had a conversation with um, one of Chad's attorneys, uh, a guy named Matt Rawlings. I don't know if you've ever spoken with Matt. He was a law student at Cornell University in New York when all of this happened, but he's from Portsmouth. And so Mm -hmm. he had to do work on, they had to do trial work while they were in school. And one of the cases that was handed to them was Chad's case. And so he took Chad's case. And Brendan and I have spent hours on the phone with this guy. And the story that he recounts to us, he always said that he felt Chad was very straightforward with him. But there were also moments that Chad stated that his memory was fuzzy because they had been high on meth the entire time. Yes. So when you think about it, you know, if they're trying to point fingers at each other, then it makes sense that he would kind of try to add to the story. Because if he thought that it was something in his favor, then maybe that was his motive to do that. Um, Like, that's one thing I always kind of wondered. Because, like, I was sitting at work one time, I was going through his letter, and I was like, holy crap, like, what if they, somebody actually moved her body? Because, like I said, he was blaming it on Beth. And I'm like, you know, you're thinking Brandon Chad, and the way he was kind of implying was that, like, Beth was, like, the place that he told me they buried her at was the place Beth picked out. They stored her, Samantha's body, while they went to South Carolina at Beth's mom's house. And so I was like, well, what if they move the body? And then he kind of went off on that. Like, you know, they might have moved the body type thing and she'd be the only one that could do it. And that she'd probably have to have help. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah, right here is where I was trying to find out where about the car situation. Because I mentioned it to him and like I said, then I found out, you know, that it wasn't ever reported. Well, nothing ever calls like that. And I think the lady said she had seen blood in the car. But like the question I have is like, how are you going to see blood in a car when it's like, you know, 10, 11, midnight, you know, late at night. And at this time, you know, Samantha's car, she wasn't reported missing. That's kind of one I wondered if it was just kind of like one of those stories that somebody just interacts with and says, hey, this happened. I was there. Like, I seen something, but actually never did. Just kind of put herself in the story. So was he claiming that Beth was actually with them the night that Samantha was murdered? That I'm not sure. Like, because he was talking like... Like I said, she picked out the location and said about she confessed to her boyfriend at the time. That would be the Nikki guy I found. Right. And he, he was he was a lost cause. But yeah, he was telling me that there's others involved, that she mm-hmm. was, and that basically got away with it. The FBI covered up her involvement as she became their number one witness at the trial against me and my co-defendant. And right. they, they couldn't have got the death sentence without her and the lies she told. And supposedly one of his investigators talked to her two years ago and she had confessed that she had a relationship with one of the FBI agents. He's talking about the trial was crooked and, you know, stuff like that. He's saying that them three are the only ones that know where Samantha was buried at. So he claims that himself, Brandon, and Beth are the three people who know where Samantha was really buried. Yeah, according to him. But, like, he mentioned about she she was wearing, like, Beth was wearing one of Samantha's shirts at, like, somewhere. And I heard another story that, because where the location they told me that she was buried at, it basically all connects. And it takes you, you can find a road that if you stay on that road, it takes you to take you to Canova where they stayed at. 
And supposedly there was a shirt found out there beside the road, like a Marshall University shirt or a sweater. And from my understanding, it was supposed to have been reported and turned into the police, and then it disappeared. So I don't know if it's a true or not, if it actually was found. Let me ask you your opinion on this. You know, uh, this is where my where I kind of take uh, there's a lot of people who say that, especially talking to Matt Rawlings, who was involved in the case as one of his attorneys, mm-hmm. that he he basically said that he, you know, sexually assaulted Alice Donovan, that he was involved in that. And and the story that he tells is, he, you know, he was straightforward and honest with Matt. And then when it came to that part of the story, he wouldn't look him in the face and he just nodded his head that, yes, he did that. He and but the thing that that bothers me the most about this whole scenario, this whole case is that years later, after drawing maps uh, in a location that he wasn't familiar with, they were able to recover uh, Alice Donovan's remains. And, Mm. you know, and the story is that it took years for him to recollect these things. But why is it that he can recollect something in a place that whether he was high on meth or not, he can recollect it years later um, in a place that he wasn't familiar with, but he can't pinpoint what happened in a place that he grew up in and he was very familiar with. And you would think, you know, that it doesn't matter how high you were, you kind of have a recollection of where you were that night. I mean, what is your opinion on that? Do you think he's lying? Somewhere, I can't remember where, I was trying to find it, uh, he lived, from my understanding, he lived in South Carolina at one point. Because I know that was kind of like their thing against him was that everywhere they went was his stomping ground. So um, I know he kind of said like Brandon forced him to kind of like rape Donovan and all that. But he like, what was it? They said that he basically, he sat in the car while Brandon took her out in the woods. Like you're saying, he drew a map and... From my understanding, like, he, he never went away from where Alice was at. Like, he always said she's here, but they would never look for her there until uh, Monica, the, uh, miss, uh, what was it? Uh, the missing person group, she actually went to where he said to go and basically go deeper in that area and you would find her. And they eventually found her, even though I think they said a bulldozer had been through that area and stuff. But they ended up founding her, though. And, yeah, you would think, because I remember one of the letters – he told me about like why would I help with uh, a case that basically gave me the death sentence, you know? To uh, I, he's like I got life for Samantha. He's like why would I help with the one and not the other? But my question is, with all of this, you know, he says they buried Samantha and done all this, and then like with Alice, it just seems like they kind of just put her out in the field and just cover her up with some brush. Like why do two opposite things? Like where he told me that he buried her at, like there's a house not too far away, and you know you they said they put rocks on top of her grave, like that's a lot of stuff to do and not get caught. But he he has physically said that to you that he was involved in in burying her. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He sent me like a he told me where it was at, and I uh, done a Google picture of it and sent it to him and he sent it back and said you know this was the area and then when he was talking about um about a v see it's on the buffalo buffalo creek and that there was um, a v a v-shaped tree and it had a mark in it from a shovel where brandon had marked the tree so he goes yeah. into that kind of detail and you sent me this picture of the google yes. map picture that you sent and this is okay 
I grew up in Wayne County and, you know, have lived in Huntington for years. This is a place that is well known to anybody in Wayne County. It's behind a well-known pizza joint called Rocky Tops. Um, So if Chad had told this to authorities, did they ever actually go out there and look? See, that's uh, from my understanding, like when they brought him back here, that's where they took him at. And I'm like, because I've asked him before and he never re- responded to me, but I was like, the day like takes you out in the field, you know, out in the area and say, hey, this tree right here, or do you have to point from the car? Because, right. yeah, he yeah, basically said there's, yeah, the tree shaped like a V and the base you'll see a chunk missing where Brandon marked it with a shovel and the ravine drops down a little and there'll be a pile of railroad rocks. This is the spot. And he's saying he doesn't know why she's been found and all that. But I remember hearing that something about the the dogs like picked up scent on the dirt or the roots. I'd have to look through my notes, but they never could find her because he told me that she's buried in a tarp, a brown really? tarp. It's crazy to me that he has told you this because the interview that we did with Matt, it seems like he told him something totally opposite. When he spoke with Matt, he told him that they went down to, he said, the Guy and Dot River. But Matt thinks that his, because of their drug-altered state, that he was a little confused. That he took him to the Guy and Dot River, where there was a boat that was a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And that they, there was a dumpster there. They parked beside the dumpster. And Brandon led Samantha into the woods, and that's where, apparently, he murdered her. And when he came back out of the woods, Samantha wasn't with him, and Brandon told Chad, it's done. So what he told Matt was that they actually went down to the river. And if you remember, I'm sure you do, there's a restaurant down there called Schooner's. That's yeah. still there. That was the restaurant, you know, everybody'd go and, and listen to live music or whatever. And when I said that to him, he said, Yes, that sounds familiar. So it's like Chad's recounting these different stories to different people and none of them add up. Yeah, like I'm trying to think. I remember going down there and looking at the area because Brandon has always said they dumped her in Gondot River. Like he's never changed his story at all. And like I said, going back to what I said earlier about why I do all this with Samantha, because the way he explained it to me was like that they left her here at Best Grandma's well, I mean, mom's house. They went to South Carolina, so basically saying she was there until they got back, and then they buried her. Like, why go through all that trouble when Alice, you know, they just put her out in the woods and covered her up? Like, you have a river right there, you know, like, not to sound mean, but the blunt truth is they could have just rolled her off in the river and then... You know, then you're done with and why go through the whole thing of finding a place to bury her and haul around a body and not get caught. And that's exactly what Matt thinks happens. Matt, he he came here and, and he walked, you know, he said he didn't know how many hours through different spots. He went from Beach Fork down to the river, um, all these different locations are along the Guy and Dot River, the Ohio River. He even went down to places where they had blocked off the Ohio to, I guess, there were things that they would put out to catch debris in the river. He even went to those places mm-hmm. to look and see if that was a possibility. 
and he fully believes that she was in the river, that they rolled her into the river, and that's where they left her. See, I knew uh, when uh, Jimmy's video came out, like, they tried to make a connection with all of that, because Chad is actually from the Hamlin, West Hamlin area. Like he's like I said, his grandma lives still in, well, I don't know if she's passed away since I've left, because I, like I said, went to her house to help to help her with uh, her phone, because he was trying to call her. Uh, they were trying to say that, like, Chad knew uh, Samantha. Maybe they could have passed, but like I said, there, there was an age difference. A little age difference, so it wouldn't have been, you know, in the same grade or nothing. But uh, wasn't somebody, wasn't somebody in Chad's family married to somebody in Samantha's family? I think so, but it was like way, way, like not really nothing to matter to, like not like close, close. He wrote that in the first letter that he wrote to me. That mm-hmm. there was a somebody he said his the, uncle wasn't it? His uncle was married to her, her aunt. His uncle was married to Samantha's aunt, I think is what he said. Okay, so that might be a little bit closer than I thought then. I'm trying to find out. Um, yeah, going back to the uh, river, this guy, when the Jimmy's video, video came out, uh, he said he worked at a barge company uh, directly across from a guy and boat ramp, and he said that they brought Chad there. And that's where he said they supposedly put her in the water there. And but he was saying that the company was dredging at the boat ramp, though he feels like the crane may have picked her body up, and that they hauled all the mud to the field there. And then somebody else was talking about that too. I can't remember where I wrote down my notes, but like he said, that he saw like bones or something, but he never reported it until basically after the Jimmy video. So you know, all these years later, and like well, I said, that- the place Chad said she's buried at. From my understanding, they dumped like a bunch of dirt on that area. So that's another issue there, too. See, that is the theory that, you know, we've been told and, and given is that, you know, she wa- if she was dumped in the Ohio River, uh, they, they do dredge that river yep. and that, you know, they, they don't know if they would ever recover Samantha. And, and, and that's heart-wrenching to think about, you know, because <laughs> in, in these cases, you just want to bring your loved one home. You want to you make sure that they're at peace and... That's why I have such a problem with, with, you know, these cases, even though a case is cut and dry and you think that the, just because it's public record, this is exactly the narrative of what happened. You know, we, nobody really knows because you get so many different stories and he's telling you one thing and then telling somebody else something completely different. So what is the actual facts? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I look into my notes. This is another thing that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Because... Um, my my old address, it's like I still live in the same area, but it changed. But there's another holler just like that, but it's up Mud River in Hamlin. Well, he was telling me that he remembered driving on that road, which I didn't tell him any different. But he was talking about he remembered the McDonald's because there's a McDonald's at the end of the Mud River Road. But he said he remembered that location. Strange thing is, it wasn't built there until like four years after the fact. So he mm. wouldn't even know it was there. Yeah. I know one of somebody, I think one of the FBI agents was talking about that, that I talked to. Like, he basically, like I said, you feed him a story and he kind of goes off that, like, oh, maybe that's what, and he's getting like all these people sending him various things over the years. And then he's just getting confused more on it. So you think it's kind of one of these cases that people are, (laughs) are placing these thoughts in his head, basically, and whether it's. You know, the fact that he was high on meth or his limited intellect, he's just kind of 
building on all of these stories. But what he doesn't realize that he's done is he's told, you know, how many different accounts to these different people. And now nobody's going to believe him. That's basically what I think happened. Like at first, you know, like so when he gave me the location, like I went out there, like just my gut feeling, you know, I'm like, you know, it seems like this is a location on the tree, like right next to the railroad track. He shaped kind of had a ravine. I'm like, nobody's going to carry a bunch of railroad rocks through a field and stuff. Cause he said like weather wasn't a factor. Cause like it was a pretty good flood area. And he said, none of that would affect her. But if you go down, the water is going to hit her. And it's like right by those railroad tracks. It's right there. You can get it, you know, be quick. But never, he said, no, that wasn't the tree. So then there's so many V-shaped trees. You, you can find marks in the trees. But, you know, with it being that long, the tree is going to get a little bit bigger. So the chunk missing is not going to be at the exact area it was all those years ago. But there is somebody, um, if he's... He should. I have an address for him. Uh, he actually wrote to um, uh, Samantha's mom a few years back, and according to him, he said Chad told him that four people knew where Samantha was buried. Where he told me the three, and said that Chad got upset over the letters, and basically his name, the guy, the inmate that wrote him was a David Paul Hammer, but he was basically writing, like I said, writing to Samantha's mom saying, "Hey." You know, that I know where she's at. and But Chad got mad over it and said, don't listen to him. That He's just trying to lead them away from her. And another thing that was interesting, they said uh, I heard Chad would get angry when it was brought up that his brother knew where Samantha was at. Well, here's the interesting fact about a lot of cases like this. You know, I'm sure you've heard and I've, I've referenced this podcast a lot on our show. Uh, and there's a podcast up and vanished. And. They do yep. a case on missing Tara Grinstead and come to find out mm-hmm. that there are facts in this case that people did, in fact, know what happened to this school teacher. For years, people knew. And it was just, you know, talk of the town. People didn't know what actually to believe or not. But there was more mm-hmm. than two people that knew what happened. And it's 100 percent factual that there could be more people who knew exactly knew what happened. But it's whether or not you want to believe you know, at the time, like if you heard something like that and you were like, oh, there's no way, dude, there's no way you did that. You know what I mean? You get drunk, you get high, you start running your mouth. You know what I mean? There's just no way you did that. You know, who, who's to say that it's not? I mean, in my personal opinion, I think, you know, uh, it's, I'm not, you know, I've never been to Hamlin and I don't know the lay of the land, but I'm uh, it, if it's a small town, I mean, people talk and people know mm-hmm. each other and people know each other's business. So it's possible that that, yeah, more people do know. Yeah, like with his brother and stuff, because my understanding, he, like him and his brother are really, really close. I can't remember if that's the one that killed himself or not. Um, yeah, because he actually sent me a copy of pictures that he drew of his brother and him. So if that's the case, and that could be, you know, why, you know, he'd get upset because about it, which, which speaking of up and vanish, though, that's like one of my favorite podcast yeah it's it's a really good one it's a really good investigative podcast and it led to them eventually capturing the two guys involved so i want to get back a little bit to chad and his letters mm-hmm. you know he's re- you've corresponded with him quite a bit and everything that he said to you what is your honest opinion do you believe that he really knows what happened or do you think he's playing some kind of manipulation game 
You know, I mean, what honestly, in your opinion, what, how do you feel since you've had personal correspondence for, you know, more than once? I don't know. Like I said, at first, you know, I, I put 100 percent in belief in him. And then throughout the years and kind of how he's gotten, I'm kind of like kind of doubting his words now. But like no matter what, though, I kind of still hold him back my head like he did lead them to Alice. So maybe, you know, I'm just overlooking something like I doubt my thoughts on it. But like I said, there's so much that he just don't really seem to because like there's other things that he's tried to say, hey, I'll, I'll send you a map myself or I'll send you this. I'll send you this. And then he never sends it or he'll be like, because I told him, I'm like, give me every detail where you're at, who you talk to. Give me a list of everybody. He, he's like, I'll work on it. Never got that. And well, probably because you didn't send money. Correct. Did he ever well, ask no, you he, for money? I, I even uh, last time, uh, right around Christmas, he actually emailed me and well, it wasn't just me, but it was a group, group of people that he like tagged in it and was asking, you know, can you give me money? But, um, I never responded back to him and he ended up removing me from his email list. Not like <laughs> earlier this year, but he did the like, same to he, me. Uh, yeah. He wanted the, the very first letter that he wrote to me, he laid out this detailed plan. He told me that he had all these case files, boxes of case files maps that he had drawn, two books that he wrote while he has been uh, on death row, and that I needed mm -hmm. to send him, he sent me the exact amount. It was like $518.64 or something random like that, because that was what uh, it was going to cost to like make copies and have all of this stuff Western Union to me, and he would even throw in those books. I didn't respond to it. That was the first letter that he wrote back to me. And within about two weeks, he had sent me a second letter telling me how disappointed he was in me that mm -hmm. the money wasn't in his Western Union account on uh, the day that he expected it to be. And that I really didn't care if Samantha was found because um, I didn't put forth the effort by sending him this money so he could send me these case files. I mean, seriously, do you think these case files even exist? What the hell's he even uh, talking he about? Yeah, he actually told me he had boxes of stuff, and he would send me. But he told me, if I remember correctly, like $220 it would cost to mail the boxes out. And he told me about the books he wrote. And I was like, if you need help, I'll send you money. He's like, no, nah, don't worry about it. I'll get it. I'll get it figured out. And like I said, I never, never got anything. Right. Which I, I did my... get I did oh. get gypped, though, uh, with the Nikki guy. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, when the Jimmy video came out, like, because I think Chad spelled his name wrong. But I was able to track him down. He's in prison, but he was like in Florida. But he had shot a cop in Charleston. Well, I wrote him. Well, he was wanting money. So I ended up sending him money. And basically, he gave me some information that most likely isn't true. But I was like, hey, it's worth a shot. And Which I ended up selling a book I bought, a rare book I bought off, off Amazon before it got taken off of Amazon. So in a way, it kind of went from something good, something bad to something good. Yeah. You guys heard of the, uh, uh, what is his name? The dude in Canada with the pigs. Uh, Robert Picton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I've heard of Robert Picton. Yeah, he wrote a book in prison and gave it to somebody and that guy published it. Well, they had it for sale and I was actually luckily ordered a copy before they took it down like later that day. And I was like, well, crap, I'm not going to get it. I still got it. But I ended up selling that to a, a collector to send out to somebody to correspond with the Nikki guy. 
So Nikki was the guy who was involved in when all this went down, right? Yeah, I suppose, like I said, according to Chad. Um, so they were all just basically a bunch of thieves. That, that, that's like I said, I didn't really talk to Beth. Cause like I said, everything that Chad told me, I'm like, oh, crap. I was like, I want to get, you know, try to talk to her and then it all, you know, be a bad thing. But when I eventually did talk to her, though, because uh, she wrote uh, like a big, long thing when the Jimmy video came out, like told her side of the story. So for my blog, I ended up talking to her and she actually wrote a story. I've talked to her on the phone. Like she could be lying, but my personal opinion, I think the story she's given, like she might do some little things here and there she missed out. But I think what she said basically was the gist of it. You know, they, she knew Chad for a long, long time and he, him and this guy shows up and he says, you know, didn't really give his name. And then she ends up liking Brandon and everything. And, Basically used her to get drugs, summer to stay while here, and then boogied out to South Carolina. Or, well, when they came back, I mean. Mm -hmm. But he, like I said, he's saying they were at her house before they went to South Carolina. But to her, they didn't get there until they came back. And basically, like I said, used to find drugs and everything. Right. And she talked about having the uh, necklace with a heart-shaped ring on it. Right. And about he did give it to her. Something about she put it underneath the pillow. And I guess she lost it or something, what she said, that it was gone. Because her and Brandon had a good fling, from my understanding. Mm -hmm. They were like in love with her. Which is kind of weird, though, too. Her uh, child, where she got pregnant not too long after that, her uh, son's name is Brandon. Really? Jesus. I did not know that. I found that out. Uh, Wait, could, right he, could he be the father of that kid? She said, like, me and some other people, like, try to trace it back. Like, it is possible, but that means she would have had him, like, pretty early. Yeah. And she might, you know, she might have. I was like, why? Well, she said that her uh, kid picked the name out. I'm like, you would think if you're kind of tied in with, you know, two criminals, like, why would you name your child after one of them? Even you're though, gonna, you know, Brandon yeah. is a common name, but, you know, when you're involved in stuff like that, like, I'm pretty sure I would have named my child after that. Yeah, well, if it's true, if, if it's a true story, I mean, why would you sleep with uh, a ring of a girl that you... I mean, you, uh, you you know what these guys were involved in. You know that something bad happened to her. This girl had to have known. And why would you sleep with that ring under your pillow? I mean, that's just, that's demented. Yeah, I talked to somebody that was, uh, somebody at the bath back then. And they were saying she did know that they they had escaped, or at least knew that something was going on. Because about one of her daughters mentioned that, like, you know, they're like SpongeBob and stuff was on TV. Like, oh, there's one. But when... Um, yeah, the news came on, I think, right when they were talking about they got a, they got arrested or escaped sometime around there. Well, they came on, they're like, oh, there's SpongeBob and Patrick. Like, that's the names that she gave them to her kids. Oh. So, but I, I don't know how true all that is, though. Right. It's so crazy because, you know, you grow up in a small town and something like this happens and it rocks everybody. Mm -hmm. And then all the rumors start to fly and it's everybody knows everybody. There's no way that you could avoid rumors happening in all of this, especially when Chad and Brandon came back here after all this stuff happened. You know, it's it, it almost makes me feel like like Brandon said before you people knew more than what they said. People were mm -hmm. being hush hush about it because they didn't want to be implicated mm -hmm. in it in any way, shape, or form. You know, obviously they're buying drugs from somebody. Somebody had to know that they were in the picture there somewhere. And still, even after all this, 
the pieces can't be put together 17 years later. So let me ask you one more question about these letters. You know, I found this weird and me and Annie couldn't figure out what it was. We, we tried to Google it and maybe you have more insight on it. But at the end of every letter that he received, first of all, the letters look like they were written by a woman. So I don't know if somebody dictates or he dictates the letter and somebody writes it down. But he signed quick, it. Quick question. Did they smell like cologne? That, like did his they, cologne was strong on every letter. No, they didn't. They didn't like, smell like it anything. Looked, it smelled like, okay, like the letters I got, it smelled like the, he sprayed his cologne on the papers. Like they were stout forever. Like as soon as you opened the thing, it was like, oh, God. That's, that is creepy. That yes, is like, like people it was, sending every one random love letters. No, the ones that I got just smelled faintly of cigarette smoke. Which he sent me the one, like all the letters I got from him besides I think one was actually in like the big like envelopes, like the orange ones. Oh, yeah. No, mine were just in regular envelopes. But they look like they were written by a woman. That's the weird thing. It looked yeah. like woman's handwriting. But he signed the end yeah, of it. He, uh, like, he has some handwriting if it is his handwriting. But it is. I agree that it does look like a woman. Well, he, Actually, he signed it TSFL. Do you have any clue what that means? I was telling anybody, like, I'm pretty sure it's True Soldiers for Life, if I remember correctly. Because that's like when all the thing with Jimmy came out and about, people like his family, uh, one of them messaged me. And she's like, well, I know your letters are real and what you're saying, because that's how he signed off on everything. And I'm pretty sure it's True Soldiers for Life. Yeah, that's kind of weird. So kind of like, I don't know, like, I don't know. <laughs> Not sure exactly why. I think like it was like a family thing that they all said to each other, maybe, or just with everything that's going on. I racked my brain. I thought it was some type of prison thing. I even Googled it, thinking that there was, you know, he had to sign it that way. But talking about the handwriting, no, I, I think Chad wrote all of them because you sent me the picture um, of the Google map where he had written his the directions on there. It's the same handwriting. Yeah, like he has like a very like I said, I do agree. It is a looks like a girl handwriting, but it is yeah. a deep handwriting. So here's a question for you: Did you ever interact with any local law enforcement when you were doing any of your research? Any of Huntington Police Department? Any Cabell County Sheriff? Did did you ever reach out to them? And if so, were they willing to speak with you about the case? Um, didn't really reach out to me. Like I did talk to him like about the whole Beth thing and they said they would look in on it, but that was about as far as I got. Cause from my understanding, um, the Brown tarp they got was supposedly from, uh, Beth's brother, uncle or something. And the cop had said, you know, we have talked to him and everything, but I guess he had cancer and wasn't doing very good. And they were like, I guess, backtracking to see, you know, what all happened and if it was true. And then I talked to uh, uh, the one FBI on the case and he told me that they were going to like they basically to shut Chad down. They're like, we don't believe anything he said. That their main focus was on Brandon now, since he said that, you know, they put her in the river, which they did search the river pretty, pretty hard. But there was a lot of flooding back then, too. And um like he told me, oh crap! Then probably two years ago, like I, I was kind of overthinking it. Yeah, he uh, told me that to expect to see something around the beginning of August or so on the search for Samantha at Guy and Dot River. And that was back in 2017. As far as my knowledge, they've never searched Guy and Dot River in I know, almost two years. But what I found interesting when he said that, when they found the body, 
by the boat ramp in Gondok. Yeah. That was in uh, September 24th. That was basically, he said they were going to search. And then a month later, they actually find the, what was the torso and a thing, a leg. Yeah, but I don't remember who that belonged to. Do you? Um, actually, I still actually have the picture that a woman posted of all that on my phone. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, trying to think. They haven't really posted a lot about it. I remember reading an article. A dude turned his uncle, I think, in. Because I guess he was like trying to discard some of the body in like in a dumpster at a car wash. Oh, my God. But I can't remember what her name was. I'd have to look. I remember it vaguely, but I don't remember it ever being associated. I mean, not with any of that. I do know that they did search the guy in Dot River one time. Mm -hmm. And that was when they searched the property that my dad owned there. My dad owned a business um, just outside of Altizer that sat basically it was separated from the river by the railroad tracks and he was at work one day and all these police showed up and unmarked cars and my dad went out there asking questions what they were doing and nobody would tell him and as he was getting ready to go Mm -hmm. inside um another car which he said it was obviously not a, a police car came onto the property and there was a man and a woman in there, and the guy rolled his window down, and Dad asked if he knew what they were doing there, and he said, they're looking for my daughter. It was Mr. and Mrs. Burns. And so they were there a day or two searching that area, looking for her, but nothing ever came of it, and, and they never spoke a word of it to Dad of, of what they were doing there. So that's the only time that I know for sure that they actually searched an area of the Guyandot River. Yeah, there's something um, I thought was interesting. I don't know if there's anything to it, but I remember in your guys' episode, you mentioned if there was anybody else involved, like anybody else they could have picked up. But did you ever hear about the girl that disappeared that was uh, 16 years I think she was 16, but uh, I want to say she might have been at the mall, maybe. But her name was Sarah Owens. Okay, yeah, she's 16 years old from Huntington. She was reported missing 11-12-02. But uh, she allegedly borrowed a cell phone from a woman, that'd be Richmond, Virginia, at a movie theater to call home. And she was hiding from two men who had taken her from the Huntington Mall. What? She was reported missing after she returned from a job interview Tuesday evening at the Huntington Mall. And she had taken a bus to the mall and completed the interview and she accepted the ride from two men who were at the mall and she would call home 11 15 so three days and that's when she said she was hiding from them and had some small injuries but that's like i never could find anything else on it like were the two men them okay so you're talking 10 days after samantha disappears was she okay i mean they she yeah, ended samantha up back home samantha disappeared on the 11th so this would be oh, the no, next I'm sorry, day that's right the next day that doesn't make it yeah that's what like i'm trying to think it was in the newspapers where i read it at and i'm like wait a minute what but like did she like did they get her because from my understanding i know some people said that samantha got taken from the the apartments by the marshal right but from my, my understanding she actually got taken from the mall that's the way i understood that they were basically driving the parking lot and basically stumbled upon her like the way chad explained it like he was they split to like breaking the cars, and then Brandon comes back with Samantha in the car. And See, I've read that too. And because I, I think they her parents sued them all and got quite a bit of money out of it. And yeah. from my understanding, like how it all went down was like where they let her call home. They, I'm pretty sure they already had her. So at the not what the nine nine forty. I've wondered that as well. 
if 945, she calls and says she's leaving the apartment building in downtown Huntington. But then Chad says they picked her up from the mall. Was it ever corroborated that she was at the apartment? Where did that story come from? Because I read that on on multiple news outlets. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Like, because it says 6:30, she was last seen at the mall, and that's where, like I said, Chad said they got her there. From my understanding, she met her aunt or something, and one went the other way, and one and she went out the other way, and then she got her. So that means from 6:30 to 9:45, she would call home. Because see, that kind of fit. Because with Alice Donovan, they let her call home and said, "Hey, you know, I'll be home later and all that, and stuff like that." So you're looking at 6.30. She was abducted at 6.30. Like, that so gives them until 9.45. They let her call home. So you know, that's over three-hour gap that they had her. And then from 10 to 3.30, her car was found on fire. So, you know, there's a big, long gap there. And I've actually found uh, the lady that lives in that area. She sees a vehicle at that cemetery or where they burn her car. It was like right at uh, right intersection of both of them, wasn't German Ridge and Haney Road? Yeah, German Ridge. Yeah. Um, at 8 p.m. she said she's seen a car slash truck and then at 9 p.m. she still she still saw vehicles there. So I was kind of wondering, like I said, what like if they had, like what did they do for that whole entire time? Because right. if you're looking at she called home at 9.45 so she even if she died 10, 11, midnight it wouldn't take that long to do the whole track where they burn a car at right because the way he made it sound the way that matt recounted the story to us was that they drove her around of course it doesn't okay say so let's say they took her from the mall Mm -hmm. and then they're driving around trying to find atms so they can take as much money as possible so how did they end up back downtown if they're mm-hmm. at the river like at schooners it would make sense that they if they picked her up there i mean they'll know the last place that she was seen was at the mall but that's mm-hmm. what got me was the time frame the conflicting accounts and then you find her car on german ridge road on fire did they just drive it out there because they were trying to find somewhere out kind of in the middle of nowhere to dump it why why didn't they just continue on in her car they needed a car well uh from my understanding they had uh a tina's van right as well so yeah say because i'm not sure i can't remember if i ever found time frames of when they actually if any times were released when they were at atm right uh he mentioned see this yeah okay this is what he's talking about because because he mentioned about you know the digging and all that because like so that's on their way there from the german ridge and but he was telling me a story about Samantha. Cause I, I asked him if there was anything that you know stuck out about her, and he goes in that he was already in tears and everything, but said that she was so calm, and he said he tried to keep uh, his face hid from her, mm-hmm. and he would just look in the mirror, and that she had offered Brandon some weed, and I guess like, I don't know if he's just trying to act like you know I didn't do any of this, I wasn't part of it. Or what? But like, if she was calm, and my my personal opinion is she's probably like some you know some victims do that you know they're calm, just like hey, if I do what they say, nice to them, they'll just let me go. Right. Which it still would be scary though to be with 
you know, two of them. Because, like I said, they were high on about anything they could probably be on and get their hands on at that time. You don't think there's any way that Samantha recognized Chad? I wouldn't think. Like I said, there's, let's see, there should be, what, a six-year age gap? Like I said, they might have crossed paths, maybe, but, because somebody was trying to say, like, they were in the same school, but I'm like, is there a six-year age difference? Because if, say, she's in sixth grade, you know, he's he's a senior. Right. If he even finished school. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He had a childhood. Yeah. Which they both did, but that's still no excuse to, you know, do what they did. Right. So during this whole time, they're going around and they had these burner phones, correct? They had these phones and you came into possession of these phones? No, these, the burner phones were from a Jimmy video with Rebecca. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about Jimmy Heisel for a second there. So Jimmy Heisel, 2017, he does all these crazy Facebook videos saying that he knows where the body is because he just married this woman and this woman spilled her deep, dark secrets and says that Samantha is buried on her property. So in my understanding, Jimmy and or Jimmy's new wife, Rebecca, somehow had ties to Chad and his family, correct? Yeah, like that's basically like I said, I hadn't heard from Chad in so long. And I think it was at the end of 2014, around Christmas, he called me. And then he sent me an email to, uh, in 2015. Well, I, I hadn't really ever got on there to check and like that and receiving letters and stuff from him. Well, after the whole, somebody tagged me in a post that was made about a, a guy had claimed that his wife was a serial killer. So I didn't think nothing of him. I'm like, oh, you know, that's interesting. And then next thing I know, here's Jimmy's video. You know, and I was like hoping, you know, there's something to it. I'm like, you know, this might be the end of it. You know, they might find her. Well, and then I get on there. I I, had, I forgot my password to the email site. That's what, quarter links. So I end up getting on there. Bam. There's an email waiting for me for Chad. And he was talking about that he received the news yesterday. And he can only shake his head. And said that girl and guy was Bethan's friends. So basically saying he must feel guilty and all that. So he's trying to still say he didn't really know him. But I know they were trying to make a connection that they didn't know. I think Chad and Brandon knew him. But it goes back to Beth again. Yes. He ties her as the link to all of these people. So Jimmy makes all of these crazy outlandish Facebook posts and then kind of disappears off the face of the planet. How did you come in contact with those burner phones? And did they have anything on them that were of any value? Um, see, I've actually, I've, I've talked to Rebecca and stuff too, but yeah, I got contacted. She, um, the lady was married into the Burns family back when all this happened with Samantha Burns and all that. Oh, she had messaged me and she's like, Hey, I had Jimmy send me the phones and you know, I would feel basically she wanted me to have them. Anybody else? Cause she didn't trust like anybody in law enforcement and all that. Cause I guess she talked to somebody. She said in the FBI and they said, you know, just throw them away. There's nothing on them. She's like, I don't want to do that in case there is something on them. Well, so I told her, I was like, well, when I leave from work, you know, we can meet. I go out there and meet her. Like, I'm kind of like, you know, I see her Facebook picture. And so I'm like, you know, she's not, hopefully she's not somebody else. And I go out there and, you know, get jumped or something. But I get there and there's nobody there, but there's somebody sitting in a vehicle. I didn't know if it was her or not. Well, this lady comes around and I guess they were kind of scoping me out to see who I was and make sure I was the right person too. Well, I ended up talking to her for crap, probably half an hour or so. She was telling me about where she'd been in um, 
married into the family and all that. And hopefully, you know, there's something on the phone. So she gave them to me. I think, what was there five of them? I, I don't, I don't have the phones anymore, but I think I still have the uh, envelope where Jimmy had mailed them to her. But one phone might have had maybe like a text about maybe like a, a drug deal, like a small drug deal maybe on it. I think two of them didn't work maybe. There's three of them. Like most of them like didn't work. One of them, one other one that did, like I think it was a kid's phone maybe. And the other one had like personal pictures of like family, you know, children. So it was nothing on it. If there ever was, it looks, it, to me, it just seemed like old phones that people you know, got new, you know, updated and just threw the other ones to the side just for emergency in case her new phone messed up. And I end up, uh, Rebecca found out that I had the phones and I ended up mailing them back to her um, not too long after that. So what did he claim that you would find on these phones if, or if anything? I can't remember because I don't, I don't know if I actually watched that full video, but the way he talked, like the burner phones had like everything on it. Right. Like he found him like what was in a wall or something in the wall. Yeah. Behind a hot water heater or something like that. He goes on and on about, yeah, these, I got all these burner phones, found them in a wall or behind the water or, you know, some crazy talk yeah. like that. So. Yeah. Like to the point, like after a while, I just, I just gave up watching any of his videos. Like I know people like, what was this? I think somebody sent him like $2,000. That's crazy. Like, like why? But yeah, why? like he did. Yeah, he did message me um, kind of like after it kind of all died down, but he didn't really ever say nothing. And I don't know if he just done it to do it. Because the way she, like, her story makes more sense than what his does. Like, his was just all out there. Like, she was just saying they went by the area and it's like, hey, this happened here, whatever. And then he just said to start researching and be like, oh, you're, you've done this. Because they never found anything out there. Like, I think, what was it? Was it a reporter? Was the other person supposed to have been buried there? I, ah, I, I just remember them talking about uh, Samantha's remains being in a burn pile there that he yeah. was mowing around or didn't want to mow over. So they claimed there were other people out there, too. Yeah, buried? he claimed. I want to I say there was a reporter, but like, because that one, like, didn't match up. Like, I think they actually knew who killed him and. All that. And I think he was saying there's like a hammer or something. I know what was it? he wanted a pond, a koi pond. I think that video was talking about that koi pond. Yeah. That he kept wanting out there. And she was talking about there's stuff in that burn pile she didn't want him to see. Like, I still have the video on my phone, which I think I ended up uploading on YouTube. But like I said, he, like he cries in it, like he has emotion in it. Like I said, I had a whole lot of belief in it. And then until it just went downhill and he just kept going and going. And then when they found nothing, I'm like, did he what? Like, why did he do it? Was it just for attention? But right. what kind of just what kind of just makes it weird? It's like Samantha wasn't really being talked about. Like, like yeah, if, if she mentioned it to him, then he went and done a bunch of research on it and started flipping out. But like, if that's what caused it, but it's like I can understand if there was like other information happening around that people talking about it, and then you know it comes out. So it's kind of like out of nowhere, here it comes. I think it was just one of them cases where he, you know, maybe his first couple, he was super emotional about it because he really believed it. And then it became an attention thing. So he had to keep it going on. That's just yeah, my opinion. He had, of, yeah, he had a lot of followers. Like I said, if people still send him money, man, you know, of course he's going to do it. Which I hear he's back in West Virginia doing tattoos. So I wondered whatever happened to him. I tried to look him up on Facebook. I couldn't find him anywhere. 
Yeah, that's that was one of the rumors I heard recently is what he's doing. But like I said, even if nothing did come out of it, you know, well, one thing did. Everybody started talking again about it. So I was like, it did bring her case back to the surface. Right. People started talking. That's like a lot of stuff I started finding out stuff too, reading people's comments on everything. But it's kind of still hard to track, you know, what's what's true and what's not because over time like i had somebody message i saw um the guy basically said chad didn't kill nobody that he wasn't involved he's like he knew him and he's like he just wouldn't be like that i'm like well he's already been you know charged and convicted with all of it. right he's been for a long time but he couldn't believe it like he didn't even like he acted like he was clueless on it Mm -hmm. like where have you been right i mean i don't think Chad never said that he wasn't there, that he didn't take part in it. Something that Matt Rawlings said to us that I thought was interesting. I, I straight up asked him if he thought that Chad and Brandon deserved the same punishment, if they both deserved to be on death row. And his answer was no. He said he fully believed that Brandon deserved to be on death row but that Chad was more of, I guess, an accessory and just deserved life in prison. Do you have an opinion on that? See, that's a, like that's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like everybody said, you know, they went to Chad stomping grounds like he was a ling reader. I'm not sure exactly you know, how it all went down, basically, with all that, because he seems sincere with a lot of stuff he says. But then, like I said, with him wanting money from you and stuff. Right. And all that's like. Where's your head? Like, if you are you really wanting to find her? Like, why are you demanding, you know, money and stuff? Speak of that, um, you guys remember the topic site? Site? Yes, old topics. Shay, did I you actually, ever read topics? I don't think I did. You know what that is no. so. Topics was a website. I don't even know if it's still in existence. It's, where I think it you, is, but they took the message boards down. You could Google a zip code on there. And it would basically be all these news feeds where people could get on and gossip. And it was the talk of the town around here for a while. Yeah, but I read a thing on there, which kind of made, I, I tried to get a hold of the guy. I finally got a hold. He messaged me and like, wanted like 20 bucks to feed his family or something. And then, then he went on, like, oh, that wasn't me that messaged you. And they never really said anything. But I like messaged like a few guys finding out if it was the right one. But he said that he had gotten a fight when uh, uh, Chad was here on trial, and he was put in a hole with him, well, next to him. And he said that uh, he said that Chad would always go on about how he was the killer, Samantha Burns, and that girl from South Carolina, and how he was such a bad person. But he gave him details on how he killed her and how he thought the police would never find her body, and that he was going to walk because they didn't have enough evidence to convict him. Like that, I tried to talk, talk to the guy, and I think he's just more drugged out than anything. So I really didn't get any other information about that. Because my uh, old boss I had, he actually worked at the jail as a correctional officer when Chad was there. He said Chad, like, carried, I think, I want to say a Bible with him all the time. And he said he was very quiet. But I know, like, any time when there's a killer in prison, jail, or whatever, you always have that inmate. Like the, the one I talked about earlier, whether it's true or not. Supposedly they confessed to them. They might just be trying to help, you know, their their case. So I don't they're know. Trying if, to help themselves. They think they're gonna if they give them some type of information, whether it's true or not, it's gonna get them out of something. That's kind of like things like that. Like, like I still keep back in my head. Like, well, what if he 
you know, because I've heard other people say that too, like Chad's just doing this so he can try to get a, another trial. So that's kind of what makes me wonder about if he's sincere with all of it and actually is telling the truth and whatnot. But well, that's uh, that's the the other question we wanted to ask too. Uh, you know, you've had people corresponding with you. You know, keep people in this case that haven't been mentioned like you know in the media and that kind of stuff and people have reached out to you both good and bad so what are some of the mm -hmm. you know the you know people reaching out to you what, what are they saying like well what is the negative feedback you're getting from this uh, one of her personal friends basically she kind of told me which was nothing negative like she was talking to me and stuff um then she's like she's like i gotta step back and stuff like that, mm -hmm. saying that, you know, might kind of be in more trouble than what you want to get yourself into type thing. Because uh, from my understanding, like I said, Beth and stuff, she, seem, she seems fine and everything. There's possibly other people in it because I guess from the way I understand with her, like so they use her for drugs, basically going to people that was doing drugs back then. Which, you know, you're kind of getting tied up with all that, and you just never know how people's going to get. Because somebody hears the wrong person that you're digging, wondering who so and so is. You know, you don't know what's going to come out of it. But it's like that. What's another? Which, even with uh, like Jimmy and Rebecca, because you know, you hear that you know Rebecca might have had you know bodies on her property. Like when I talked to her, like when I sent her the burner phones, I didn't put my address or nothing on. I just put my name, you know, put it in there and send it, send it to her. And then she was talking about beating up and everything. Like, yeah, you seem like a nice lady and you probably got light on, but still in the back of my head, I'm like, what if you are this crazy person that he proclaimed you to be? I got kids. I'm not going to go meet you and then get, you know, dumped in a river somewhere. Right. So like, what would even be her purpose of meeting up with you? You know, what's, what's the point yeah. of that? Yeah, I've never met up with her. Yeah, I just thought that was odd. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think I'll stay stay away from that. And like, well, you just never know how these people are going to react. Like you said, these are people who have, their lives have kind of revolved around crime, whether it's theft or drugs. You know, these aren't high society people. And so you start immersing yourself into their world. You have no idea what could come about of all of this. Did Chad ever ask you to come visit him in prison? Yes. He sent me, in the very first letter, a uh, a request. I don't even know what you would call it or something that you would have to fill out to come visit him. Did the thought ever cross your mind that you would go? I thought about it. Because yeah, basically he was asking me, talking about how much the calls were and stuff, and that um, he was basically wanting me to come talk to him in person so there's no misunderstandings and all that. And he was basically talking about how long the drive was, which here he said it was seven hours. I even think, if I remember correctly, he was talking about, like, I could stay with somebody out there, like his family. Bruce, do you have anything, like, what are your final thoughts on this? If you had to say anything about, um, about this case and the time that you have spent <laughs> researching it, what's your final thought? What would you like to see come from all of this at the end of the day? Uh, well, the obvious would be to find Samantha. Like the blunt truth kind of stares at all of us. Like if she was dumped in the river, because there are talks, the old bridge that sat there, because I think Tina said they threw her off that bridge and stuff. But like if she hit the river, like the blunt truth is staring at us. She's never going to be found, which is right. sad to swallow. But I would, it would be amazing one day to find, I know anytime any remains are found in this area, the family gets their hopes up. 
but it would be nice one day they don't have to give their hopes up and she actually is found and you know her bones are able to be at a proper burial ground so place you can go to to you know pay your respects to like i would love for that to happen like when the jimmy video came out like i basically i'm a full-grown man and i'll admit i cried when i came out i'm like you know this might actually be it and then i was so when nothing was found like like i just hope like i'm not a religious person but like she's in my thoughts all the time i think about her and like said just working on it so long like i feel like she's a part of my story as well in life like i want you know to find her and like anytime i see anything about her posted i try to look and say hey you know this is what's going on type thing and always try to read anything and any new stuff that comes out it's like i'm always trying to be all over top of it like I'd love for her to be found, and hopefully one day we can, or someone will. Where can uh, you know, everybody find your podcast? Um, I'm not sure of all of them that's on. Like I originally go through Podbean, you can find Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and I'm pretty sure a bunch of other ones. I'm not sure of all of them, but like my Facebook page is Killers Crawl Space, and um, I got a YouTube channel that I post a little bit of videos and stuff on, which still killers cross and stuff like that well thank you so much for taking the time you know to talk about this and you know to have somebody who has as much insight in it as you i mean you've done a lot of work you've done a lot of research you've you've corresponded with so many people and uh, i mean you know it's it's an invaluable resource you know to have other people who are just interested in this stuff as we are and I really, really, you know, really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Uh, thank you for having me. Anything else you want to say? So that was our, our complete interview. Uh, I wouldn't say complete because I did edit out some of the, uh, some of the interview because there were a lot of things that, that kind of went up and down that, you know, were lost in translation. I, I should say we take everything with a grain of salt. And as he's sitting there, he's, he's recounting some of these events from Chad Falks himself. And the way that it sounds, you know, what we've seen and Annie's personally seen in the letters that were written is that I, in my personal opinion, can't really believe everything this guy is telling us, Chad Falks, because he's got nowhere to go. He's he's on death row. So you can take this story of things that he said with a grain of salt, but it's important to know that these the details are out there for the public. What was told at court and what is being said here are two different kinds of stories. And even recounting back to Matt Rawlings' interview, he was told something different as well. So it's hard to really sit there and know exactly what the actual facts in this case are, but it's interesting to hear all the different sides of it. I think the one opinion that we share in common with Bruce very much is the fact that Chad Folks is kind of a desperate man on death row who would reach out to anyone who would reach back to him. And I don't know that he really remembers or understands all of the details of the night that Samantha disappeared. But this interview with Bruce gives you a much better idea of what a broad reach this case had for this tiny little town that we live in. When you look back over everything, and I said this in the interview, when you look back over everything, more people, I think, knew about this than what was originally thought. And I think that even years later, it's still an open wound that some people just don't just want to forget that happened. And you can't forget what happened because it's such a monumental loss. And we have to keep in mind that this isn't about these two men on death row. 
this story is not about them. It's not about feeling sorry for them because in my opinion, I don't feel sorry for them. I think that, you know, the justice system works in a certain way and sometimes it fails and sometimes it doesn't. But I think in this case, the just, justice was served. We have to keep in mind that, you know, Samantha's still missing. And you heard the facts, you know, about people's opinions, where what could have happened to Samantha. But we have to keep in mind that there is a possibility that she's still out there. We all have that responsibility to keep this story alive because there is family that still has to deal with this every day. And I think it's important that we at least try to bring some type of closure to this case, whether or not we are actually affiliated with it or just a passerby on the street. We're very grateful to everyone who has tuned into this, who has reached out to us. I've had so many local friends and, you know, people that have reached out on Facebook to say, thank you for doing this. And like Shay said before, this is not about the criminals. This is about the memory of Samantha Burns and Alice Donovan and their families who still struggle daily with these heinous crimes that happened 17 years ago. To anyone listening, if you have any information on the disappearance of Samantha Burns or this case in general, please reach out to us. We want to talk to you. This case will never be completely solved. This case will never be closed. But our mission is to make sure that Samantha is never forgotten. Once again, thank you for listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Check us out weekly on Paranormal Warehouse at ParanormalWarehouse.com, on iTunes at Serial Spirits, and on SoundCloud. Please rate and review the show. Follow us on all your social media apps. Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Serial Spirits, on Twitter at Serial Spirits, and on Instagram. Until next time, be aware be safe.